Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, very excited to do this. One of our favorite guests, probably our favorite guest each year. We'll bring him on in just a couple of minutes. Uh, before that, want to remind you of both Louisiana Hot Sauce and Madison Social. Why do I say both of them? Uh, because they've been two partners that have been with us since one day. Excuse me, they've been two of our partners that have been with us since day one and uh, somewhat married to each other at this point. Want to remind people of the fantastic time that Madison Social uh, provides all of us as fans on game days. Would encourage you to go over there for the game day menu, open their doors at 10 a.m., and uh, while you're there, enjoy a Nolcast Bloody Mary made with uh, no one else other than Louisiana hot sauce. So hats off to our two wonderful sponsors, and with that, Let's jump into the conversation with Mark. Now we'll go to uh, one of our favorite guests. In fact, uh, probably our favorite guest guy we have on every year, Mark Ennis. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Uh, so hopefully a, a nice little conversation to ensue, but uh, always appreciate your time and thoroughly value your opinion. I love doing this. How long have we been doing this kind of annually? This goes back to uh, Louisville's first year in the ACC with Jameis on a Thursday night here. Is that right? It had to be 2014, yeah, because 2013 was the Maryland beatdown. Yeah. If we want to have the historical conversation, the first podcast I ever was a guest on or uh, an invited guest was the was it called Here We Go that you used to do a Chad and uh, kegs yes. and eggs. What was the way that was Adam Kramer? Maybe yeah. Adam Kramer was maybe double. It was maybe 2008, 2009, something like that. Yeah. So I didn't know you guys had a podcast together. Oh, yeah, back in the day for about a year, and then Adam sort of blew up, and Chad got a job with uh, with the big uh, AM stick there in Atlanta. And, yeah, he was, uh, that's, I met Chad at 680, exactly. Yeah, yeah huh. that's right. Because I, I was on a podcast with, with Kramer and Drew Collins and um, – mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Who now does the like the Clay Travis show uh, for, for the betting picks. And we David couldn't Perk. figure out how to sell ads or split ad money four ways. So uh, we, we didn't do it anymore. Awesome. Uh, so, Mark, kind of a cool little, little deal. You, you bought CardinalSports.com. Yeah, me and a, a couple of other fellows all sort of put our money together. The uh, the previous owner was uh, into his 70s, ready to move on to something else in his life, and was kind of letting it wither on the vine. And we were approached, and we're like, absolutely, we can totally do this. We jumped in, we bought it. I'm the publisher. We've been at it since about May. Uh, and things things are going pretty well. Uh, and it's this is a very good time. Uh, to sort of be getting in on the ground floor and establish relationships because everybody's kind of new. Athletic director's kind of new. Football coaches are all brand new. The basketball coaches are only in their second year, like kind of the big traffic and money drivers. Everybody's pretty new. We're all on kind of equal competitive playing field here. It's it's kind of fun. That's awesome, man. Uh, so Louisville with the new head coach, Scott Satterfield, everybody seems to really like him so far, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny because I would have thought he would have been up against it after the the, the Jeff Brom uh, disappointment. I think you know people really always thought that was just sort of a shoe in to happen, and when it didn't happen, you know, I really I had heard lots of good things about Scott Satterfield, but I hadn't really dug into it too much. Uh, and and he's just been very, I tell you what, he's been very straightforward. I think he the one of the best things that ever happened to Scott Satterfield was was Bobby last year, like super lowered the bar. Uh, with the way that that team went. But also, Bobby spent the whole preseason last year just hyping the team and Jawan Pass up. Uh, and it was like, Lamar's leaving, but we're going to be even better on offense because we'll be more efficient and all this different stuff. And Scott's basically just been like, eh, you know, we'll get a little bit better, a little uh, time here and there. And sort of just being kind of straightforward and honest, people are like, oh, this is great. We'll take this. We'll take this all day. So any little thing they do kind of overachieves as it is. 
Uh, and then he's he's there's not a lot of guile. He's not a he's not a politician. You know, he's not a, a, a maniacal football coach. He's just sort of a straightforward country guy from Boone. Uh, and, and it resonates. It's very refreshing, probably about just what they needed after Bobby had Bailey basically alienated everybody. <laughs> yeah, we, I know we had heard and shared some stories there about what was going on behind the scenes. Well, I mean, all you need to all you need to know is here. Here's here's two things, and this is sort of the you're dealing with players, dealing with the other coaches. The players didn't know where Bobby's office was, right? Like, you didn't know where the head coach's office was. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, and then the only three assistant coaches had Bobby's phone number. And so, like, this is a guy that didn't want to talk to or interact with anyone, players or coaches. And so if you want to know how you go 2-10, and 10, that's how you do it. That is – wow. Yeah. That, Have you ever heard when you stand like up and, uh, and blame the players for losing games. Is that uh, like it's your fault we lost the Florida State game? Oh, guys, that that literally happened. So we had a player on the team that interned at the radio station where I work over the summer uh, who told us after the Florida State game, he did his press conference where he's like, I shouldn't have called the pass, but we shouldn't have thrown an interception. And then he basically went right to the locker room and just killed them. I didn't lose this game. You lost this game. And if you want to know what happens when you do that, Louisville went from being two and three to two and ten. Uh, like they, he, they, he, they, the team completely quit. He completely lost the locker room. Everyone was out. They stopped recruiting. I remember calling out the fact that, like, on their bye week, seven, eight weeks into the year, no one went recruiting anywhere. And I was like, how come the coaches aren't anywhere? And they, they had quit, all of them. That's a very familiar story to something we had happen in, uh, in 2017, actually, where. Like, Pat Sertan wasn't getting calls from Florida State. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. And he's pretty good uh, yeah. in your state and likes your staff. Or did. <laughs> what a mess, man. So, Satterfield coming over from Appalachian State. Did a really good job there. Is it, is it Field or Feld, by the way? Satterfield, Satterfield? Satterfield. Satterfield, okay. Yep. Offensively at, at App, and, and I've been able to watch some Louisville this year, you can tell kind of what they're trying to do. It doesn't look exactly like what App was doing, you know, execution-wise, smoothness-wise, but they were always, you know, kind of a spread team that ran with some nastiness, you know, and they wanted to use a lot of, like, like jet and orbit motion to get guys going laterally and then increase them vertically and then throw some play action. But they're, they're really a running football team, right? Is that still what you're seeing with Louisville? Yeah, Ian Boyd has a great article called Confusing Clobber about what Satterfield does. And it's basically they, they're looking for like a, a market inefficiency, so to speak. Everybody in Conference USA is kind of a spread team. And he's basically like, look, we can get some tight ends and some H-backs, but still go with spread sets. And then we'll just inside-outside zone run and just sort of mash people because nobody's really used to that anymore. Uh, and that's that's what they do. I mean, Scott Satterfield said it at a press conference right before the season started. He's like, yeah, we got two run plays. We got inside zone. We got outside zone. And then everything else just sort of builds off of it. They play action and bootleg. And like you were saying, the jet sweep stuff and all of the uh, – they'll, they'll run some some zone read stuff off of it and everything. But, I mean, everything they do is inside-outside zone running. Uh, and then everything else sort of flows off of it, play action passing, everything. And so uh, it's been a real change from Bobby Petrino and the, the way he did it. And Bobby really was, no matter how much of a, a sociopath he was, the guy could draw plays up. But it's been very different. Uh, but so far, three weeks into the season, they're running the ball really well. 
they are protecting the quarterback far better than they did really at any point last year. Uh, but yes, you're right. Your impression of watching them and thinking this is a run first team and everything sort of goes off of that is exactly right. That's exactly what they are. So I guess we probably need to ask about quarterback here. Uh, last week, Juwan Pass did not play with a, I believe a foot injury, right? Yeah. What? Right. Uh, he was back at practice. Cunningham's numbers looked the Malik Cunningham. That is, I mean, he only threw 14 passes, but his numbers looked, looked a heck of a lot better uh, than than Juwan Passes did. With the, maybe with the exception of his sack rate, he seems to have taken a lot of sacks relative to how many dropbacks he took. But uh, like, is is Pass going to be the starter? Yeah, it's an interesting kind of cat and mouse game being played here. And I'm just, you know, I'm not trying to call them out or anything, but I just want to just go on record and see if I'm right here. You know, I'm still learning how they work and everything too, right? Uh, I don't believe he actually practiced yesterday. Like, I'm just going to say that, okay? I think they're messing with Florida State. I think this is a little cat and mouse game being played here. Uh, I think they want Florida State to think that he played so that they got to prepare for him too. Uh, but I, I really believe it'll be Malik Cunningham. And they're different, and they each have their strengths. I think that Cunningham actually throws a really nice deep ball. Uh, and Louisville badly needs that as part of the offense. By the end of the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame was like, we're just putting eight, eight and a half guys in the box, and y'all are screwed. And Louisville didn't do anything in the second half because pass is just not a good uh, – you know what it's like when a quarterback looks like he's aiming at the deep ball or he's mm-hmm. throwing it and, and, and hoping. Like, that's, that's passing. Cunningham throws it with some authority. But – Jawan Pass is a lot better at run reads and getting Louisville into the right play. And believe it or not, when he's in there, they they run the ball better. Uh, and so they've kind of got to pick their poison there. They don't really have one good whole quarterback. Uh, and Cunningham does. He's a very good, shifty, uh, dangerous runner, but he will never, ever, ever give up on a play. And he takes sacks, and he takes unnecessary sacks, and he takes unnecessary hits, and he did that last week with Western. So Louisville's kind of got to pick what they think will work best there. If Pass is healthy, I think they actually like him better uh, because he just sort of keeps the offense in good plays and things like that, and you hope that he'll just hit the occasional deep throw. Uh, But I think it will be Malik Cunningham this weekend. So if Pass is like 70%, there's no way you pick him, right? Because the running is, is a big part of his game. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got to be close to 100%. And I think that Satterfield's really ideal scenario, uh, because Louisville was just wildly thin. They played 23 guys on offense against uh, Western Kentucky, and 16 of them were, or 13 of them, excuse me, were tight ends or wide receivers. Like it's six offensive linemen, two running backs, two quarterbacks. Like that's it. And I thought they got tired at the end of the Western game because it was 100 degrees in Nashville. Um, yeah, I think pass has got to be close to 100%. Uh, and then I think if Satterfield really had his way, what he would do is play pass like 75% of the snaps and then just sort of bring in Cunningham as kind of a change of pace thing that the other team's got to get ready for and get used to being in the game and be a little bit different. I think that's what he'd really like to do. Yeah, so along the offensive line, uh, Mekhi Becton's probably one of the better offensive linemen that uh, Florida State will see throughout the course of the season. But yeah. through three games, what's your what's your opinion on the rest of the unit so far? They've been surprisingly good. You know, this was uh, you guys saw that offensive line last year. They uh, they were lazy. I mean, honestly, and they were very, very unsure in responsibilities and, and that sort of thing. Uh, they were not good, and they really didn't even have experience running the ball because Louisville was perpetually behind, like forever. And so, through three games, you know, to have rushed for well over 200 yards against Notre Dame, uh, and to, to average you know over six yards a carry, have a couple running backs that are routinely 150 plus, you know, together. I've been really pleased with them and. 
they, you know, they've got a former walk-on playing right tackle who's graded out as good as Becton has pretty much all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've, I've been pretty – I mean, look, uh, Cole Kublick came on radio show a couple of weeks ago and, uh, when uh, talked to us and said, that, like, there's only like 10 good offensive line coaches in the whole country. Uh, and Dwayne Ledford is one of them. He might be the best one. And so that was one of the best things about getting Satterfield was getting Ledford to come here from NC State. He's made a world of difference. The big thing for Louisville is they really can't lose anybody. Like right now they've got six good linemen and everyone else that's a backup is a freshman. And I'm talking a true freshman. Uh, they, they, they only played six of them against Western. They only played six of them against Notre Dame. They played a bunch of guys against Eastern. So they're super thin. And so Louisville plays small ball and Louisville plays uh, ball control big time. Like they are running the fewest number of plays possible uh, because they're just razor thin. They don't have depth there at all. If anybody were to go down against Florida State, it would be close to catastrophic. So they're not trying to push the tempo that much. They are the opposite of pushing the tempo. Like they, they, they I mean, Satterfield had kind of made a joke, but I think he was kind of telling himself a little bit. He said, you know, in these games where you play teams, uh, he's talking about this year and his time at App, when they would go play Tennessee or they would go play Penn State, you know, or, or Georgia or Clemson or whoever they would play in those bye games. He's like, our strategy was to kind of make them bored, like just make this game super freaking slow. And he's like, and it would work. And then, you know, they were in almost all these games because they would just go slow and they've been doing pretty much the same thing. You sort of churn and keep the chains moving. That team just sort of sits over there on the sideline. Uh, and I mean, so far it's, it's kind of worked. And for a good half of the game, if Juwan Pass didn't fumble a bunch of times, they were going to go into halftime tied with Notre Dame and get the ball. So I'd uh, I'd get your time that. of possession tweets ready, Mark. You probably going to be probably going to be exercising some of those on Saturday. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, that that's been interesting. Uh, Florida State. Uh, a lot of the fans seem to think that's really the offense's fault, but we're like, well, yeah, but what if the defense is bad from the opening gun and they allow you to go on like nine, eleven play drives in the first quarter? Like, guys, I just I thought we agreed that that stat didn't matter. It doesn't, and it shouldn't. And I feel like this is a conversation we might have had back in like 2009 before people like could really Google analytics, and there's no correlation between time of possession and winning. None. It's just a, like a, a nonsense like stat that coaches talk about. Now, if you're a team who is outgunned, shortening the game makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's winning football. Right, because you're trying to reduce the number of possessions. Florida State, on the other hand, should be trying to extend the number of possessions, right? And Absolutely. give Kendall Bryles yes. as many at bats as possible with that offense. Unfortunately, they are uh, they're like a hundred and hold on, let me pull this up. This is ridiculous. I was kind of getting mad all over again today. Um, they're like a hundred fifteenth in success rate allowed, and like thirty second in explosive plays allowed, which is like the total opposite of that's what you want to do. No, that's not good because Louisville, believe it or not, Louisville is like. After two weeks, I don't know how much that's held up, but they had several big plays. Like, Wolves in the top ten and plays over ten yards this year. Uh, offense is a little fits and starts, but there are big runs and there are big throws routinely in this offense. It's been kind of a surprise to me, honestly. That's interesting. See, I think I think Florida State would, maybe if they change their strategy, they'd be fine giving up some big plays, just not having the opponent hold the ball, right? You know, I, I think well, from their standpoint. Both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um that's that's interesting. So hey, what obviously like they're they don't really have a great throwing quarterback right now, and they're trying to run the ball a lot more or are running the ball a lot more. Yes, a lot more. What, what happened to Des Fitzpatrick? Like he was a dude who 
at one point we were like really high on, right? No, no, I I think he and Seth Dawkins, the other outside wide receiver, they've been the biggest loser in kind of the switch uh, of offenses and offensive philosophy so far. Uh, And Satterfield even talked about at the Monday press conference this week uh, that he's like, look, we got to get those guys the ball. Uh, We've called more plays for them than their stats would indicate, but Juwan's not been a great, accurate kind of outside thrower. Uh, And so far, you know, the the main way they've taken advantage of these eight-man boxes is with Tutu Atwell in the slot. Uh, and so, like, eventually they got to get those guys going. But the two outside receivers have just been kind of swallowed up in in what they're trying to do, you know, elsewhere. Uh, but it is something they're kind of aware of. Also, last week they played Western. They only threw the ball 16 times, like, the whole game. They just ground Western into paste. Is uh, Western that, that bad? Because I, I I took Louisville. I didn't even get to watch the game. But Western looked, did not look that great the week prior, even though I know, I know they, they, they got the dub. They're not very good, uh, but they are they, – they're a lot more sound than they were a year ago. Like Mike Sanford was crazy, just like his dad. Uh, but they're a lot better uh, than they were a year ago. They just don't – they don't have any guys. Gotcha. That makes sense. So primarily in, inside-outside zone scheme with a lot of window dressing, the, the quarterback can run it. You know what it's like. You, like when you, you run outside zone 15 times in a game, you, you can watch the two middle linebackers. They're like, all right, here are the snap. I'm going to start sprinting to the sideline, you know, so I can go get in position to make a play. And then all of a sudden you've got the jet sweeps and the pop passes and the, you know, uh, the zone reads and you start getting people kind of guessing. And that's when they gash you. And they really did that to Notre Dame. The problem was in the second half, Notre Dame brought eight men down to the box and Louisville couldn't hit any throws down the field at all. And they were just very able to just sort of sit on top of Louisville's running game after that, and it was lights out. Uh, and so Louisville's really big problem has been punishing teams that over over pursue and then just sort of overload for the run game. Against Western, they actually did it. And it was really the first time all year that Atwell was like eating up against the safety sort of by himself. Uh, but if they don't get those throws down the field, they're a lot easier to defend. But, yeah, it's an inside-outside zone and then everything that's just sort of a constraint play off of that. Gotcha. What did you think of Notre Dame's interior, interior defensive line? I know this is not really a Florida State question, but it's something I was talking with somebody else about today about how Georgia might really have an advantage there. Did, did you like those guys? Did... Mm, no. no. I thought the, the middle of Notre Dame's uh, second era defense, especially in the front seven, uh, is is Charmin soft, and I think Georgia will manball them to death uh, this weekend. Uh, the last uh, last season, 2018, Notre Dame's two middle linebackers had over like combined for like 250 tackles, and they didn't come off the field in like the first four games. You know, and they're replacing both of those guys this year. And Louisville really ran outside zone, cutting back because those dudes are not very good over. And over and over again, and their nose tackle did nothing in that game uh, at all. And they really—I think they only had one sack, and it was kind of a crappy, weird play that was never really right from the get-go. Uh, they're not super impressive on the inside at all. If I'm Georgia, it's—it's uh, it's man ball week. We're going to line up, we're going to run the ball off guard and off tackle as much as we want, and make Notre Dame prove that they can stop that because they couldn't do it with Louisville. And Georgia's a little better at this than Louisville is, <laughs> just just a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark. Uh, I guess one more for me from uh, on the offense, or, or maybe two more. Uh, their success rate and overall success, Louisville's that is, uh, when it's a passing down as opposed to a standard down, is is pretty night and day. 
that's just like when they don't have the option to to bluff run and and like actually make right. the defense look at all the window dressing they their drop back pass protection and their their throwing is just not there I assume. Yeah, I, I think that uh, in uh, this is my personal opinion. It was the one area I've always been kind of concerned about. Uh, even go back to the App State days. Like to me, when I watched them uh, at App State, even just straight passing downs. If for whatever reason it's third and seven, like I just thought the offense was just weird. Like it just didn't look right, you know. And I didn't, I very rarely just can, thought when I would watch them, oh, they're just going to drop back here four wide receivers and they're just going to hit this like. It's, just, it's not very good. Uh, That's and I jarring from a Petrino guy, right? Like, I mean, you know. It's or, or very from... <laughs> weird. Yes. Uh, and even the receivers are like, man, this kind of stinks. <laughs> like, when you kind of talk to them here and there. Uh, they, like, they recognize it's a little different. And so, like, it, I recognize that, like, we're, they've played three games, you know. So, I'm sure that some of the things that he'd love to do uh, are, are still probably not even installed, you know, at this point. And they are hampered by by quarterback play. They're not great throw. Even neither of them are great throwers outside the numbers, and that sort of thing. So they're pretty limited in what they feel like they can do, kind of confidently. Uh, but the throws down the middle of the field, like Malik Cunningham was awesome over the weekend uh, at that. And so if that stuff is there, if they can get Atwell on a safety or something like that, they can work with. But yes, they're pretty contingent on staying ahead of schedule, staying on schedule. Play action, bootlegs, that sort of thing. Uh, but if it's just straight drop back, it hasn't been pretty so far. And the last one for me, uh, their passing down run rate is ninth in the nation. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but I, I, I got I'm that, sure their every down run rate is way up there. Are they just running like a ton of draws on, on, on third and long, you know, second and eight plus just to try to either get back to a standard down or just basically like not turn it over? Uh, all, all of the above. Uh, okay. It's one. Satterfield really likes to run the ball more than the average person. So I'm. that's why I was saying, like, I'm probably – every situational run rate is probably going to be at least a little higher just because that's what's in his head. He likes to do that. Two, both quarterbacks are pretty adept runners. And so uh, Malik Cunningham in particular, like, he will just tuck and run a lot. And so some of the passing numbers haven't been great because a lot of pass plays have turned into runs. Uh, as well so it, it's everything and then like the the read option game has actually been really good and they converted several third and five or longers against notre dame with designed runs with the quarterback with pass so it's all contributed to that being a little bit higher and the defense is pretty thin but it, it's been pretty good and one of the like they try to play complementary football that's what the sports source analytics guys call it uh complementary football like they possess the ball and the defense plays the fewest number of snaps possible but they're fresh and they're effective when they're out there. Uh, and so all of that sort of plays in it together. All right, Edgar, Paul is here to tell you about Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans, as you all listeners know, done over 30 loans for our NOLCAST listeners. FSUHomeLoans.com or 844-FSU-LOAN. We'll get you hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the best mortgage guy in the business. He'll also talk a little bit of Florida State with you. And uh, he did my mortgage, I should know. Excellent rate, customer service off the charts. Just they're who you want to go with. Do your research. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Well, I guess that's a good time to transition over to the defense. I like it. I got what do we want to say? Like <laughs> the defense has been uh, the most pleasant surprise imaginable. I thought 
for sure that the defense would be marginally better than a year ago just because it's not Brian Van Gorder, who is insane. Uh, <laughs> but I actually uh, have come to just be thoroughly impressed with Brian Brown, uh, the defensive coordinator. You know, last year at App State was his first year as the coordinator, but he was like AFCA 30, top 35 under 35. Like he's a young dude, the defensive guys have absolutely gravitated to him. They've been really creative with who they use and how they attack. And like going into the fourth quarter against Notre Dame, Notre Dame was like two of nine on third down. You know, there was a string where Louisville stopped them on third and two, third and one, third and four, third and four, fourth and one, like over and over and over again. And Louisville didn't do that at all. And you want a comparison from a year ago. Louisville's got nine sacks in three games. They had 11 sacks all of last year. Uh, they have, a, I think, a pretty talented secondary. Most everybody in the secondary had offers from a lot of places and were pretty highly rated. And then they get really aggressive. It's a one-gap defense up front, you know, an odd front. And they do all sorts of you know, coverage masking and, and pretty aggressive and exotic stuff up front and really rely on the secondary keeping stuff in front of them. And they've done a pretty good job so far this year. Who is the guy who is most likely to have like a million tackles for loss against Florida State? Boy, that's a great – that's a really great question. Uh, I don't know if there's really one guy. Uh, for, But, you know, Gigi Robinson, the nose tackle, has had a real – like a real renaissance. Uh, he has maybe benefited more than anybody else. You know, they, they like the nose tackle, like 285, not 315. Uh, and he can really move, and they're always slanting. Like, they slant like crazy. Like I said, it's one-gap defense. They're slanting. You know, they're banking on being a little bit smaller – but being very clear on exactly where they're going and getting there. Uh, and Gigi Robinson's had a nice disruptive year so far as a nose tackle. Now, he might be the guy that causes everybody else to have a bunch of, of tackles for losses. Uh, but Amante Caban was like a converted linebacker playing defensive end now, and he's had a really nice year so far too. He can really move 6'3", 250 or so, uh, but he's a very good pass rusher, uh, very good with his hands. And you just like one of these, you guys know what this is like, uh, a guy just sort of lingering on the bench under the previous staff. The staff's kind of quit on him, but he won't leave. And then a coaching staff, come, a new one comes in like, wait a minute, we can do something with this guy. And he's just flourishing you know, at defensive end there. So those two guys up front have had a really nice year so far. Is uh, Peterson still there? Yeah, and he's, he's, he's having a pretty nice year, honestly. Uh, he's kind of flourishing on being a, 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 you know, the one gap thing where it's like, no, I got to get right there and I got to get there as fast as I can. Like all of them are kind of benefiting just from the clarity of a one gap defense. Like I don't have to look, I don't have to think I got to get right there. Uh, and they're fast. They're not that big. And I don't really know how capable Florida state is about just like muscling up on somebody, but if they were, they probably could. But so far, I don't think Florida state's really shown they can do that. And I think what was kind of counting on that. That's interesting. Cause I, I feel like Florida state has played one like bad defense right, in Louisiana Monroe, and then two defenses that are somewhere between good and really good, right? And I don't think Louisville's defense is as good as Boise's or EVA's. I, I think that, that's fair. But it's not as bad as Louisiana Monroe's. The one difference we saw with Louisiana Monroe is that Florida State was able to get Cam Akers and go, have him go nuts. It looks like the success rate for Notre Dame, and, and look, Florida State's offense – their offensive line is not as good as Notre Dame's. Um, some of the other pieces might you know, be better. Obviously, Akers, th that is one difference, Mark. I'll tell you that uh, Akers is having a renaissance. He's playing like a, a guy who's going to go high in the draft. Um, so that 
if you're like, hey, how does Louisville lose this game? It, it's you know the acres gets like a buck eighty on twenty carries. You know that that you know I, I that's exactly how I would think that this game would go too. I think that if they Notre Dame wouldn't really stick with the run game, uh, but they couldn't get really much going through the air except kind of just square over the middle on third and long. Uh, Louisville's middle linebackers not great in pass coverage like at all. Uh, so I think you'll you'll see lots of third and medium and long conversions on guys working the middle. Uh, it, it's kind of like trying to run Tampa too, but like without a super good middle linebacker that can get depth there and be good in coverage. They don't have that. And Notre Dame really took advantage of that. Western did kind of a little bit. Uh, but I can – the thing is, like, will Florida State slow down? And will they actually, like, do that? Because I remember the Boise game, they're up, what, 31-13, and they only ran the ball, designed runs, like, nine more times the whole game. Like, will yeah. they do it? I, I think that they will continue to run it. I don't think they'll, they'll drop pace. A whole, now, if they're up big, sure. But we really haven't seen them get up, like, big, big um, yet. The thing is – with Florida State's offensive line, it, it's probably a legitimate four-year rebuild there with the O-line, and they'd be in year two of that uh, now. Um, we think that when the tempo slows down, the O-line's a lot worse. They're able to mask a lot of those O-line deficiencies uh, with with that, right? Um, so I that's that's an interesting question, but I, I do think that – like they've given Cam Akers 20 carries several times already. I mean, he had, what, 30, think 33 carries against, against him in a row? It was basically like, we're just going to give you whatever many carries we need to yeah, give I mean, you to win the game. Yeah, threw, um, threw him the ball a good bit as well. They, they they had to absolutely ride Cam Akers to beat ULM. So you can you can draw your own conclusions to that, Mark. They've also got one freshman offensive lineman who's a true freshman. He's uh, physical, still making some mistakes, but uh, is starting to find his way in the run game a little bit, which when they run, they try to run in between the guards and – uh, Dante Lucas is about the only thing on that line that you would ever extrapolate to an above average, even having the potential to be in an above average to a good college offensive lineman. Well, that might be kind of strength versus strength there because Louisville's been pretty happy with Gigi Robinson and Jared Goldwire, uh, the backup nose tackle there. Uh, they've been pretty happy with the way those guys kind of win right there in the middle. Uh, and the two middle linebackers are not good in coverage, but they are very good in run support. Steve, uh, CJ Abram. So weird. I keep saying Stephen Avery. That's the freaking making a murderer guy. CJ Avery uh, and and Dorian Etheridge really good against the run, uh, but it's pass coverage where they struggle. So if Florida State's going to try to run between you know the two the guards and the center, like I think Louisville would probably welcome that. It's wide stuff that they've struggled with a little bit. Is that because their outside backers are not are not what they needed them to be? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think the well, they're small. First of all, you know, one outside linebacker is basically a safety, uh, and it's it's so that they can't get uh, personnel off the field. You know, so Rajay Burns is considered a linebacker, but he's six foot one, two hundred ten pounds. Like he's a safety, uh, but he's good and he's quick and he's a good tackler, but he can get muscled up a little bit. Uh, and so the question is again, will Florida State really even do that? I don't know. You guys tell me. They've been a lot better than we thought they would be up front. Um, now, like I will say, physically they're you know they're not special. Uh, Lucas is is fairly powerful for for a true freshman. Um, he was an you know Army All American kid, and uh, he was like three sixty, I think, when he got to IMG. And uh, they were like, hey, like if you want to play, you're going to need to come in and shape. And he ended up uh, dropping down. He's like three fifteen now. So he he put the work in and. 
and they think they got something pretty good there. Uh, well, Louisville will run behind Becton all damn day long. I mean, as they should. As they should, 100%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Was he 360? Or yeah. Is that, and, is that and light? Yes. No, the 360 is about right, but he got down to 360. Uh, and his body fat percentage is not unlike mine. Like, he's just an enormous man. It's incredible. That dude's going to live in the NFL for a long time. So, Florida State, one of their strengths this year on defense, not that there's many, uh, but their uh, three down uh, they're 34 stuff. Yeah. And yeah. pretty confident all of those guys will be somewhere between like first round draft pick, Marvin Wilson, to at yeah. least cup of coffee in the NFL. Um, yeah. My guess is Florida State will put Marvin Wilson over Beckton some. Um, that, that's going to be quite the battle to watch here on Saturday. They, they've gotten decent play out of their nose guard, Robert Cooper, who is just a, like, he's not great yet, but he's, he's hard to move. Um, and then, uh, and then Corey Durden is probably also going to be a pro. Uh, the D-line's been the best part of the defense so far. And honestly, like, the pass rush has been a real issue from the end, from the ends. They just lost Josh Kando, so who knows what the hell they're going to do pass rushing-wise. Um, but they have been able to create a lot of pressure up the gut. Um, and a lot of their tackles for loss have come kind of you know from the interior. So I'm interested to see what kind of penetration they're going to be able to get against Louisville's defensive front, which is you know, the other reason why I asked what you thought of, of Notre Dame's defensive line, because in talking to some guys, they're not real sure it's that good. Um, and- yeah, I think this this is where – this is one of the places I'm fascinated to watch, uh, in particular because Satterfield even said it on Monday. He's like, yeah, we watched Florida State against Virginia, and, well, lo and behold, they're running a whole lot more odd front uh, than they ever really did before. Hello, Jim Levitt, right? Uh, and I'm kind of curious if the two of you could do for people that listen, maybe on the Louisville side, like that dude's the shadow defensive coordinator now, right? Kind I of. would I would argue that uh, there's elements of him being the shadow coordinator even like three to four months or over the course of the summer. There, there's some ideas that a lot of this uh, odd man front was implemented with the expectation that he was going to join the staff uh, as an analyst and shadow DC. And for whatever reason, that didn't come to fruition. Um, as far as the coaches' comments, I'd say he was right with Virginia, uh, but they ran a lot of they ran a lot of three four against Boise. Uh, that that was kind of what they came out of the box running for the vast majority of that game. Now, how different how different is how different is it though without Kendo out there? I'm kind of curious about that part too. I think it's going to be different because Kendo is having a good year. Um, now Robinson has also been better than I thought. They're, they've actually got the, their defensive ends. I thought they might be end up being a disaster. So far, they're not uh, totally a disaster uh, as far as like their edge guys. I mean, obviously the the quote unquote ends now in the thirty four are your five techs, but right. they've also started incorporating more four three. I think you're going to see more four two five stuff um, as they play more of these spread offenses. So when Louisville decides to go, you know, four wide. Um, Assuming that they do, I, mean, I know they, they like to use the tight end. They do some. No, they do some. When they go when they go with with their ten personnel, it'll probably be more four two five look against that. Um, okay. But if if they go with heavier, then yeah, you're going to see the three down linemen most likely. Which you know they the one thing we noticed against the Virginia game was Florida State's pass defense is still a, almost cursed. There, more a family friendly show. It's still a disaster, right? Yeah, uh, they're. 
looks like they're spot dropping. They don't pass anybody off in coverage. It's it's a mess. And I've said on the show several times, I would have just fired this defensive staff straight up. Like, there's no excuse for the backers and, and DBs to regress. Yeah. At all. Uh, now, if they can get Levitt installed as the DC, perhaps during the bye week or something like that, I think that would pay some dividends. We will say, though, the run fits, which had been a disaster in the 3-4. Like, they just clearly did not know how to, to kind of mesh their, their different run fits and their, and their changing run responsibilities with, like, the different things the defensive line was doing, especially when the D-line was slanting a whole lot. Um, in the Virginia game, they did seem like they got that rather fixed. And Perkins is a really good run. You guys played him last year, right? Uh, he he was born against Louisville last year. Hurdle looked good in the second half. They like an injury forced him into the game. Yeah, yeah I don't want to talk about. Bryce they Burks. contained him pretty well, <laughs> and their run fits seem to be a lot more polished. So from the standpoint of, hey, you just face a team that you know does a lot of read option type stuff with a very mobile quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. They're feeling a lot better about that now, I think, than they were after the Louisiana Monroe game. I will say, I will say, I think Louisville would probably they do a lot more pistol, so they don't kind of give away strength, you know, pre-snap. Sure, a lot more pistol stuff and, and just like pure zone running. Uh, but Virginia with the the mobile quarterback, and I thought Virginia just dink and dunked Florida State to death. Yes, they did. Uh, th- like thirty completions, but only like two hundred fifty yards. Like that's crazy. Louisville would love that. Louisville would do that. All damn day. Well, you might get like, it because mm-hmm. they've been doing it. Yeah, there's <laughs> real good chance they might get it. Uh, Florida, Florida State didn't just get dinged and dunked to death. They were somewhat complicit in getting dinged and dunked to death. <laughs> it, was, it was absurd. Yeah, I, I watched the Virginia game, and I thought to myself, like Louisville would would love that with a little bit more downhill running. Like Louisville would love to do, especially the passing part. Like Louisville would take all of those five-yard slants and, and just like the – you know the, the, uh, the curl flats and stuff that Virginia kept running over and over and over again. Like, Louisville will do that all day if you let them. I do wonder if that will change this week with Florida State. They've had, like, three games in a row of this, and at some point you kind of have to dare somebody to beat you deep. Well, and that's what teams have done to Louisville, so just sort of put the shoe on the other foot here. Like, teams are like, no, we're going to put the safety right here, and if you want to take a shot, go for it. We'll see what happens. And outside of a couple of throws from Cunningham and one from the true freshman who came in at the very end against Western – those throws haven't been made. So if Louisville's going to win and win that way, it'll probably be because they'll be better at deep throws and like deep middle throws, uh, deep outside throws than they have been really all year, which is sort of you know, the bad luck sort of thing that happens to both teams, both your team and my team. And the thing is, if that happens, you still have to turn around and, and defend Florida State's offense, which has been pretty good. I mean, they just put 24 on UVA on the road. They put 30-something on Boise. Um like it's almost like hard to believe it. Connolly has them as thirteenth uh, in offensive S and P offensive S and P already. And that's Im- like, I mean that's impressive. I, I didn't realize that. I think yeah, I, maybe, I maybe it's it. maybe it's been like because I think we spent so much time talking about second half defense that maybe we just don't realize it. I, I think there's a lot of that. It's also I mean with every passing game, Boise's defense looks better. I mean they they really shut down Marshall pretty well. Um, yeah. And UVA's defense has been been real good. Like Pitt didn't have long drives against UVA. Pitt had like some UVA turnovers and a block punt that uh, that helped them score there. Um, I like if you get this offense 14, 15 possessions, I think you got to like its chances of scoring high thirties, low forties. You know. And I'm telling you right now, if you told Scott Satterfield that Florida State had the ball 14 times, bet we lost. 
Like, exactly. Like, he wants 10. Well, UVA got 11. Wow. And, and they held the ball for 40 minutes, you know. But Satterfield would, would take his pants off if you told him that. Like, I'm dead serious. <laughs> like, you yeah. take that right now. And Louisville probably rushed for 310 yards uh, and run the ball 47 times. And Satterfield would be like, this is the, the game God invented. Like, he would take that right now. Well, I would take my shirt off in anger if that happens again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, this is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Because the thing is, okay, if you were to hit the deep throw, yes, it's points on the scoreboard, but it's also a chance for Louisville's defense to get tired. You know what I mean? Ha- having to face more plays. It's supposed to be really hot this weekend in tally. So, it, guys, I got to tell you, it was impossibly miserable in Nashville. It was 95, uh, relentless sun. They kicked it off at 4 o'clock. It was – and I thought Louisville on offense in particular got tired because they're not deep, uh, especially up front. Uh, and so if it's going to be like that, yeah, Louisville's kind of going to be up against it there uh, as well. Am I right, by the way? This is funny. This always happens when we do this. I end up asking you guys a bunch of questions too. Did I see – that Florida State's basically expecting like 45,000 people for this game? No, they said they've distributed 45,000 already, and then they got the students uh, who have to pick up. So, Oh, okay, okay, okay. But we usually do an over-under for attendance, and I think we're probably going to put it at like – and we always do the announced, right, because who, who knows how many people are actually there. But, right. I, I mean, if, if Ingram sets it at like 60, I'm going under. No, I, people are not my numbers are right around 58, 58. What has happened, guys? Well, they've had disastrous Septembers four years in a row, right? So you had uh, in 15, they – what happened in 15? That was the – was 15 the year where they were on uh, on H, or on Showtime and then Jimbo had to have them do the promise notes and the strength coach gets a Dewey and uh, – No, that was 16. That was 16 because that was Lamar Jackson year because they basically like just skipped that whole game. In 2016. Right. Well, and then, then proceeded yeah. to basically like skip playing defense at all against UNC and then <laughs> watch the game with like a million 24-yard field goals. Yep. Uh, so you had disastrous uh, 16, and then 17 starts out. You had the hurricane, right, which rocks the state, and then they lose Francois in the first game. And then last year's uh, September was terrible again, um, and you – Got a couple of linemen hurt. You really couldn't have hurt. This is kind of when you were talking about Louisville, it was reminding me a lot of what we said last year in the preseason with FSU. Like, if they lose any linemen, they're real screwed. And it happened early, and they just they were real screwed for the next uh, next 11 games. And then this year, obviously, they're one and two. So you've had four Septembers for Florida State fans that are basically like, all right, yeah, I'm going to check out um, on the year. And it's largely a fan base that is kind of a – uh, a front-running fan base because that's how it was built, right? Like, it was cool to root for a winner back in the 80s and 90s and, you know, part of the 2000s, but really built in the 80s and 90s. So, they're not well, used you to like, having to stick with the team. Yeah. You haven't not just had a winner. I mean, over the last nine games, what, you lost six of them. You've been humiliated. Uh, you've lost in manners that the fan base isn't used to. Uh, it's also not worth – or it's worth pointing out that you're not but, like – what, 15 months away from drawing 64,000 to the spring game? I mean, so there, there's uh, certainly in, uh, there was a lot of interest, and there always will be, but this is a fan base. Uh, Bud's right to point out the last four years. I'd probably focus uh, more really on the last eight games or so. It's a, a fan base that's lost more times than it conceptualized, and it's been in humiliating blowout losses 
uh, at a rate that well, it's never seen before. Which is all of them like the end of your season last year. Uh, oh, with well, how that well, played no, out. Listen, I, I, that never happened. I don't even know what you're talking about. But <laughs> I'm kind of curious about this. Uh, I watched Willie Taggart's weekly press conference from Monday, and I felt like he was stoned. Like he is an he has struck me, and I know about Willie Taggart. He's a Western. Like I know him. He sounded very weird. He sounded very uncomfortable to me. I thought like in the very beginning when he talked about coming home and playing at home in front of the fans and Renegade and Ossie, I'm like, the horse? You're talking about the horse? Like he, it was, he sounded very odd to me, almost like he was mocking playing at home. Like how estranged is he from like the average fan? Because I feel like there's kind of a lot of distance there. So – I think he does love playing at home, but I think he like he's searching for positives. You know, uh, like after losing him in a row game, you could tell he was pissed uh, for sure. But he was like, you know, it's it's really good for us to get a win, and we can build on it, and blah blah blah. I think he's just looking for anything positive, and he's like, hey, look, I I love Florida State, and then and and the fan, you know, the fan base, and the you know playing in front of Renegade and Osceola and all, all that stuff. But it seems like almost over the top about it right but it, mm-hmm. but he does this almost every week so it's just kind of he's like all right back for a home game we got Osceola we got Renegade yeah 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 it's it's a little over the top and it almost makes it seem fake it's it it can almost sound sarcastic too uh yeah that's that's what I, that's exactly what I was picking up on it sounded like he was actually mocking playing at home that's why i was going to ask you like is he kind of estranged because it sounded like he was like great we get to play at home in front of renegade <laughs> and i don't sounded like that yeah i don't think he's estranged i also think he's he's made some unforced errors in the media over the past couple of weeks and he's, he's probably uh even more particular choosy with some of his words and he's going to keep it pretty bland and Put out things that in no way, shape, or form could be interpreted as throwing a medical staff or a coordinator or whatever else uh, under the bus. Willie's had some, he's yeah. had some foot and mouth. Uh, the hydration, yeah, yeah, the hydration. Yeah. It's, it's, and here's the thing about Willie. Here's what I know about him going back to you know the, his Western Kentucky days where they were they sucked and then they got really good. He did a great job there. Um, he's one of these guys that likes phrases. He likes acronyms. He likes sayings, do something. Who's got it better than us? Get on the bus. You know, all that crap. You've heard it all. And like that stuff is great if you're any good, but when you're not, it's Butch Jones. Mm -hmm. It's super freaking annoying. And and like right now, I feel like he's like dying because he can't do any of that stuff. And that's kind of who he is. But he, I think he now realizes like, if I go to that, my motivational speaker game, it really just pisses people off. And I don't think he knows what to do. I think you're right about that. He, he's really not a great public speaker. Um, he's much better like one-on-one, right, like, if you get a chance to talk. But he's not great in a press conference setting necessarily. Um, he's usually, you know, friendly and cordial, um, but not a – you can tell he doesn't love doing it. It's, it's not really yeah. his strength. Um, right. He also like, I don't think he likes some of the things the media said about him and some of the media, I'm kind of like, are y'all like not understanding that they don't have the money to fire him? So like, you know, you get some of the media, some You're of the media your like hot seat talk. And I'm like, this is, re- this is dumb, yeah. right? Like this is not going to happen unless somebody 
totally unexpectedly comes up and strokes a check for like eight million, and you know convinces his other buddies right. to each eat like you know the other three buddies to stroke checks for for two each. Like it's not going to happen. So, uh, but you know they they have a legitimate chance to to come home and 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 get to three and two with with the home games against. Not that I thank God they're not locks <laughs> by any stretch, right? The schedule is 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 not friendly. If they if they if Louisville were to steal this one, uh, oh, and then I they're consider, in real trouble. I, I would consider Louisville winning, stealing this one. I, I'm not going to pick Louisville to win. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be close. But I think there's there's still a year away from being able to steal one like this. Yeah. Uh, but if they do, like they like they could start like one and seven. If Louisville wins this game, Mark, uh, it, it, Willie's not going to be fired, but it, it's going to be the final nail in the coffin for an awful, awful lot of people who – there's not that many people who haven't put the nail in the coffin yet. But it'll be uh, – a lot of people will have their minds made up if a, if a total new rebuild job can come into Tallahassee and beat you in week four when you're a, a, you know, a year and a half on – to the job, it'll be a it'll be a low point for a program that's had a lot of low points recently. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, I think for Florida State, right? Like for the most part, I think fans would be pretty happy if they do get back to a bowl game after after the one and two start. In the preseason, we kind of identified what Ingram was what six games that we thought their O line would probably get whipped in, and then six games where we thought the offense would do really well and they could hold their own. Um, and we had Louisville in the hold their own category. Now, I don't know. Maybe we've misjudged Louisville because you know Mark likes their, their defensive line a, a good bit. But like, is it Boise or UVA good up front, or like Miami good, or no? But they do. No, it's no. It's not. It's not as good as as any of those. Uh, but it's also different than those. Sure. Uh, and so, like, it was pretty – I mean, Notre Dame brought back four out of five starting offensive linemen from a year ago, you know, the, the team that went to the playoffs. And Louisville really got the better of them. They got after the quarterback uh, a ton. Notre Dame, like I said, with the first three quarters before Louisville just sort of ran out of gas. They were like two of nine on third down. Like, Louisville got after them uh, against a pretty good offensive line, an offensive line that's better than Florida State's, I'll say that. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, there are reasons to be encouraged – uh, I think the big thing for Louisville will be just like, can those guys play the fewest number of snaps possible? Like if Florida State starts getting up into the upper 60s and 70s and plays, it's over. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, that's exactly what Florida State wants to do. This is, this is a this is kind of a cool matchup of styles and, and, and new regimes. Um, well, yeah, in terms of contrast, like it doesn't get any different than Satterfield, like overall and Bryles. And then in terms of offensive uh, you know, philosophy, like Satterfield loves to run. He loves tight ends and H-backs because teams just aren't used to really facing them anymore, quite frankly. Uh, he, and, and he loves to hold the ball. Uh, and he'll have eight guys in between the two hash marks. And he's fine with it because nobody muscles up anymore. Uh, and it's kind of a like you, we'll make you play weird football. And it's the old football. Uh, and so like he's cool with it. And can Bryles, you know, however many guys you can put outside the numbers as possible, right? Uh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. it's yeah, it's different. It'll be a a nice contrast in style to see who can sort of match up with the other one. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, with the backers not being very good in pass protection for Louisville, they got to be worried about teams killing them with the RPO game, right? Because especially with how how aggressively downhill they are. Yes, absolutely. No, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. And Notre Dame really got them on third and long 
uh, with the quarterback just sort of keeping the play alive for just a second uh, and, and then completing throws in between those two linebackers, uh, you know, in like nickel sets and stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I think that that is a, a very, very real concern uh, for Louisville this weekend. And to the extent that they get pressure without having to blitz a whole lot, uh, and to the extent that they don't give up stuff like I just described, uh, will probably go a long way to to deciding if they'll have any chance to win the game or not. Podcast also brought to you by Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida out of about 11,000 attorneys. So that's that's a really small slice of attorneys who are actually board-certified in family law. Look, family law is is stressful for the clients, right? Everybody has has something at stake it's often both financial and personal, and, and you want an expert you can go and trust. Travis Johnson is that guy for you. Do your research. I'm sure that you'll find the same experience in divorce, custody, guardianship, a variety of other family law matters. You can reach him, 850-435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Uh, anything special teams? Like we usually just skip over special teams, but I got to ask: like anything crazy good or crazy bad? Uh, Louisville is good at coverage. Like Louisville's super good coverage team. They got a good kicker. Um, no, like super dangerous return man or anything. Tutu was a nice punt returner, uh, but not like they haven't been just out of this world good at any of that, and they're not out of this world bad at anything either. So, ho hum. You know, if if there are if there are a reason they win or lose, something went wrong. Gotcha. Florida yep. State uh, has had a remarkable turnaround in special teams. Last year, they were uh, almost dead last in the nation in special teams. This year, in Connolly's uh, special teams ratings, they're 20th. Um, so, basically, that is a combination of uh, making better analytical decisions as far as when to take the ball out uh, of the end zone. Uh, not having punts blocked frequently is, is another Always good. Improvement Always area. good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, the punter is indefinitely suspended because he is – Anger, how do we say this? Like, is he the subject of a DUI investigation or something? Like, his we can't say yeah, subject. There's, a, there's his a, name some came bizarre up. ambiguity surrounding a, a DUI circumstance. Uh, and the kid that they plugged in there has been a, a better awesome. punter. So it's yeah, been they incredible. got a walk on. He's killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's he's hitting these like 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 you know moonshots that are that are going like 45 yards. I was like, that's okay. awesome. Yeah. Uh, oh, and they, and they got a guayo fixed, which has been huge. So well, there you go. He right. hit like a 53 yarder well. against against UVA. There you go. All's uh, well. Yeah. So, are we doing predictions on here? Or are you saving yours? Um, I'm going to save mine. I've got two okay. more days of radio and pregame, and uh, but uh, I already gave away. Like I'm not going to pick Louisville to win. I think they can, uh, I, but I'm not going to pick them to win. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if they won. Uh, I might take Louisville in the points, but I would still think Florida State's going to win. Gotcha. Awesome, buddy. Hey, man, I'm, I'm really glad we could do this every year. I think it went really well. Uh, as, yeah, so do I. As it pretty much, pretty much always does, I, I, I feel like, when we have Mark on. Um, all right, uh, Inger, we need to give some predictions here, and we also need to give the uh, the goals for the game. What uh, what, what, what are you feeling here? Hmm. Uh, I fluctuated a little bit. I, th- I think I'm going to go a little bit worried about some of the things that, that Mark had to say there. Um 38-31, Florida State. Okay, that that is that's a little bit higher scoring than I was going to go, but I, it's it's certainly a worry. Um, yeah, I, am I crazy if I predict Florida State to not allow thirty points? I mean, I, I feel like that makes me a bit of a crazy person. So, uh, it 
gosh, it makes me not want to do it. I'm going to go 35-31. I, I, I do have some concerns about Florida State's defense here. They did look better against a mobile quarterback uh, last week. But I, I do think that Florida State's going to be able to score against Louisville's defense. Um, I think they'll be able to hit some explosive plays, perhaps down the field. Like Mark said, they really do challenge uh, challenge you to do that a whole lot. And that's not something that Boise and, to some extent, UVA challenged you to do as much. Uh, yards per play goals here for me. Um, Notre Dame put 6.51 on them in, in Louisville. Uh, and Western put up 4.11. Look, Louisville or Western, Western is not really a, uh, a relevant comp uh, for me. So if, if Notre Dame put up 6.5 on the road – uh, at at Louisville, look, Florida State's not as good as Notre Dame, in in my opinion. I'll go ahead and go with uh, with with six point three as, as a goal to have at home uh, yards per play. Now, as far as yards per play allowed, I think this is uh, this is where it it gets interesting. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say five point five. I think you we, we've been revising these goals <laughs> ever so slightly, and. Uh, I think if they, if they hold Louisville to under 5.5, they're going to have a really good chance to win the game. Um, especially if they're, you know, we, should we give a success rate goal too for folks? Like maybe uh, a standard down success rate goal that we can we can discuss to basically see if Florida State was able to get Louisville into passing downs and, and get the hell off the field? I think that'd be a nice little addition. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead. And Virginia put up 63% success rate on standard downs, which is high, right? We My discussed God. this. That's yeah. like yeah. unacceptably high. Uh, Monroe put up 53%. Good God. That is, again, <laughs> like just totally not okay. Uh, Boise was actually at 48%. They just ended up running up a million plays. I'm going to say that Florida State, because of how bad Louisville is on passing downs, Let's just set a nice reachable goal here of holding Louisville to under a 50%. I can't believe I'm saying this. Under a 50% success rate on standard downs. So again, uh, first and 10, second and seven or better, third and four or better. Less than a 50% success rate on those downs. And I think that would give them a good shot to win the game. Uh, we could also do one, if you want to, for the defense here, uh, of how many drives of X number of plays do they allow? We want to put that at eight. Eight plays? Yeah, a drive. I, yeah, I think, okay, so how many did they have? They had one, two, three. They had four that exceeded that against UVA, but they also had one, two, three six-play drives allowed. Let's say, let's set a goal here. More than half of the drives are five or fewer plays. Fair enough. I think that's like if they accomplish those goals, they should be able to win this football game because if you do that, that means that Louisville maybe hit an explosive play or two, but not ten, uh, and you probably got off the field a little bit better, and you're giving your offense a lot more at bats. I think that's what a Florida State win win, win looks like. Good dose of Cam Akers, really punishing Louisville when they come up and 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 they're over aggressive and uh, and defensively. Making Louisville hit, hit difficult throws or not a great throwing team and getting him into some passing downs because we know their offensive passing downs is is pretty bad. So that's that's kind of my uh, my take on that there. 